Yeah. Of course. Where is it at? Oh, somebody put it there for me, and I didn't even see it. That's awesome. I just failed the first test there. Good morning, everyone. If I divided the room, if I sat in the numerical center of the room, it would be over there. So I don't know. I'm a... Sort of like the, uh, you ever heard the story of the princess who couldn't sleep on the 20 mattresses because the pee was, yeah, okay, all right, just letting you know what you're dealing with this morning. It's so great to be here. It's been a couple of years, and um, didn't Matt do a great job last night? Matt's a uh, favorite of mine. We're, we go back 20 years, do you realize that? Yeah, I had hair, and. You were just out of the CIA. Did you talk about being in the CIA last night? Yeah. <laughs> Moving right along. Was that a joke or is that true? Okay, all right. I want to be sure we're laughing at jokes and not laughing at me. Just, uh... hey, I've written um, an amazing book. And uh, my theory is, why write something and then act like it's no good? Come on, that doesn't make any sense. So let me go ahead and be humble up front this morning. It's the story of a Christian, say Christian, yes you, Christian, mystic, supernatural, I feel like I'm doing this by myself for some strange reason, apostolic person who happens to be a moose. It's called Mystic Moose Tales, Redefining Wildlife, and it's an allegory. And it, um, it's a creative method of uh, releasing the supernatural life of a mystical believer, which everyone who knows Jesus is, essentially, whether they know it or not. I mean, the fact that a spirit lives in you that came from heaven and the fact that you've been saved by bloodshed 2,000 years ago for sins you hadn't committed yet takes some mystical concepts to, uh, uh, anyway. Um, it's in the back. It's $400 a copy. <laughs> On sale this weekend for 15 bucks. So, And then Adam and I were just in a worship conference at Morningstar, which was a really good one. And I've got some CDs in the back, Foundations of Worship. And then I've got my very favorite, Engaging the Supernatural Realm. How many of you like um, the Holy Spirit? How many of you like it when he does stuff that makes you nervous? Yeah, I do too. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> really, all that is is realizing you're not in control. You thought you were, but uh, survey says you're not. Okay, those are back there for anyone who would like them. Um, I, when we were at the worship conference, my son, John Mark, he's, I've got four kids. He's my oldest. He's been here, correct? Correct? Every year. I haven't been here every year, Adam. Uh, <laughs> good try. Um, I'm messing with you. 
when John Mark was on the platform with his band, um, just did an amazing job. I had just suddenly, uh, it came over me. I had this overwhelming sense of wanting him to invite me up there with him to do what he was doing, which was sort of a strange feeling, really, because I don't think in those terms. I mean, he does what he does, and I do what I do. We do some of it together in the church, obviously, but... um, as I was thinking about it, I felt the Lord showed me that that feeling I was having towards my son was the very heart God has for me. You see, God was saying, my father was saying, I have this overwhelming desire to be invited into what you're doing, Robert. And I could feel what he was feeling. It was very strange. He has to trick you into feeling certain things and then explain to you, you're not really having a longing to be a rock and roll star, Robin. Robin, do you remember how old you are? You're almost 65 now. Come on, your rock and roll days are far behind you. But now I was feeling what God was feeling. And um, now a religious person would say, uh, he doesn't want to be invited into our stuff, you know. You know, we, we should, you know, be just doing it a different way. But no, he wants to be doing what you're doing. He wants to be invited. How many of you are, are, are listening to this? He, he wants to. He feels like he gets to when he, when he has that opportunity. It's just the way God thinks about us is so different than, than the way so many of us really do think about him. And I think Matt um, covered a lot of that last night. I, was, I really enjoyed that. Um, one of the things when Matt talked about Luke 15, I like to talk about Luke 15 too, but he did such a good job of it. I'll only mention part he didn't mention. You remember the story there in Luke 15? It's really lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. You remember all three of that's in the same in the same chapter. Well, when it comes to the lost coin, it struck me one day. Actually, let me ask you this question, and do not give me an over-thought-through answer, but I have in my possession a $100 bill. How much is it worth? Let's say that again, $100. It's worth $100. Okay, I lost my $100 bill. How much is it worth? I go through great difficulty to find the $100 bill. How much is it worth? Now, what am I saying? I'm saying this. Jesus didn't give you value when he died for you. He showed you your value. He revealed it. That's major. I mean, if that can really saturate your thought process, that's what you were worth. You know, we have this idea that we're not worth much, and for some bizarre reason, Jesus paid for us. 
No, he knew what he was getting. It's just what he was getting didn't know what they were worth. And one of the reasons you don't know your value is you don't know who you are. And this is this is a general comment, you know, about not knowing who you are. I want to talk a little bit this morning about, about identity. I had this bizarre thought, though. Think through this with me. Let's say I wanted a new car. Let's say I had $75,000 to get a new car. How many of you like a $75,000 car? Anybody else in here besides me? Usually that's what all three of my cars might cost. But uh, oh, And so I take $75,000. That's the price paid for the car. What's worth more, the $75,000 price I paid or the car? No, if the price was... No, the car was. I was willing to give the price for the car. So the car, come on, somebody think. So Jesus paid for you. Come on, this is scary good. What's worth more, you or Jesus? Now, you can't even answer that question because it messes you up too much. All I know is what God was willing to pay. But he was smart enough that at the end he got both what he paid and what he wanted. And used the devil to do it. So how smart is the devil? He thinks he's smart. We think he's smart. He may be smarter than us, but he's not smarter than the one that has us. Oh, I might get to preaching here in a minute. I can feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm scaring myself a little bit already. Oh, my. I like to say this. I'm worth a lot. I'm worth a lot. I'm valuable. I have a high value. How do I know? I've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus is amazing. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The price Jesus paid for me. My goodness, my goodness. I'm still not over that yet. I'm still not over that yet. We've had so much religion and too little insight or impact. God has to show us basic biblical truths in um, funny ways to show us what the basic biblical truths really are all about because we're so familiar with so many of them. He like has to trick us into insight. He loves us so much, he tries to bamboozle us into reality. Con us, maneuver us, trick us. Do you know God that way? Am I the only one here that has that? Yeah, he's a tricky. You know God is Jehovah tricky. That's one of the... I love what Matt said. I actually told him. Uh, he doesn't remember me telling him this, but I said, Matt, do you know Jesus used the term Father in the Gospel of John over 105 times? You said 125, didn't you, in the Gospels? And um, I remember the argument. It's not the first time it's come through. I've been saved 40-plus years, so the whole idea about if you don't get God's name right, you're wrong and you're in trouble, that's come through at least three times since I've been around. And the amazing thing is the person who knew him and knows him the very best used the term father. So how important could all that be? 
you don't know the name of God. Yeah, well, you don't, you can't pronounce it. Y H W H. How does <laughs> you would like expel bad breath just trying to pronounce something? That's strange. Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Jireh, El Elyon, Adonai. Over and over and over, the names of God. And all of them have awesome revelation, but they're packed into Father. Father. How many, I'm not going to ask that question. It's going to be to ask how many of you had good fathers, but uh, that's probably not smart here. So, Because if you had a good one and you raise your hand, that's awesome. If you didn't, you feel like you should. So I'm not going to, never mind. Um, let me read to you out of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter, Adam, I'm sort of an acquired taste. Have you noticed that? Okay, just, just checking. I'm not even my wife's favorite preacher, you know. She was, uh, she likes Jack Deere better than me. She won't come right out and admit it, but I know it's true. My wife, you know, she's 37 years of wedded bliss, but I'm um, in second place at least when it comes to, she will come out and say it. You are not my favorite preacher, Adam. Is that what she said? Well, you sort of have to like and not like that all at the same time, don't you? Come on. What are you going to do? What? Let's say that together. What are you going to do? <laughs> and I can preach till noon. Is that right? One o'clock? Five. No, I can't. What were we doing? Were we getting ready to read the Bible? Now, I'm old enough that every once in a while in midstream, I'm going to have to stop and ask you what I'm talking about because I'm not sure where I am. So if that happens, it's okay. It's Adam's fault for having me. Um, all right, in Luke chapter 1, verse 59... Do they put stuff like that up on the wall or do you, everybody read it together? I'll read it then. Okay. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. Let's say that last part together. No, he shall be called John. And what you see encapsulated in that one little, those two little verses, or that one, you know, those two little verses is the battle over a child's identity. And, you know, it is not absolutely essential. Let me, let me say this. It's not absolutely essential that you know who you are. And the reason I say that is John never knew he was Elijah, but Jesus said he was and John said he wasn't. So you can be confused about who you are and still do amazingly well. So that discredits almost everything else I'm going to tell you this morning. <laughs> but I've got the microphone, so that's just the way this is working. So now there is a battle over people's identity. Now, you think about the Apostle Paul. He did not know who he was way up in life. So, it's, you know, you can, if you know you're loved of God, 
man, that will just about get you wherever you need to go anyway, even if you don't know some of the particulars. But let's just think this way this morning. Your identity can be and is usually directly connected to your destiny. And so if the enemy does not want you to fulfill your destiny, he will start messing with your identity. And I mean, it is so amazing in our generation beyond almost any other generation where people are wrestling even with the fact of whether they are male or female, which, you know, so both tragic and sad and nevertheless in some ways understandable. But that would be the very basic way, the very basic picture of struggling over your identity. Um, one of the things I try to do every year, and I've gotten this from a gentleman named Bob Jones, is on the Day of Atonement in that week of the Jewish year, is to particularly seek the Lord for insight and revelation for the coming year. And so not this recent uh, Day of Atonement season, but the one before, the Lord showed me a most amazing thing, something no one had ever told me and something no one else that I know has been talking about, which doesn't mean I don't know everything and everybody, obviously, but it's so remarkable when God can show you something right out of the Bible just suddenly, just reveal some amazing thing. And this really, I think, is very, very amazing. The gospel writers used the name Peter indiscriminately. In other words, it shows up all over the place. But Jesus himself only used it five times. And when I first saw that, I found that sort of hard to believe. But the Lord began to speak to me about it. And here is the reason Jesus only used it five times. Each time he used the name Peter, he was revealing to Peter his essential identity. He was telling him, who he was. And when we look about, uh, look at, you know, the love of God and, and all of that, God really wants to show you who you are. He wants to show you uh, who you are um, functionally, what you should be doing. He wants to show you who you are relationally. And you need both of those, at least both of those, to, I think, have a balanced viewpoint of life, who you are and who, who the Lord is. But each time Jesus used the name Peter, he was revealing to him who he was. Now, I myself have uh, been saved since the Jesus movement, like 1967, and that's over 40 years. And I have gone through a relational dynamic with Jesus where he has prophetically told me or shown me who I am both functionally and relationally. And I can say very easily, I did not know Jesus loved me, really loved me, maybe for 10 or 12 years after I met him. It could have even have been longer. Now, I, I could have answered the question on the test, does God love you? And I could say yes, and I could quote John 3.16 or a number of other 
other passages. But that's different than having it internalized. I was thinking about one of my kids last week, and he's gone through some stuff where people have disregarded him. And I sent him this text. I said, never let other people tell you who you are. Never. Don't let me, if I'm not right about it, I'm your dad. Don't let circumstances. I said, let him tell you and keep telling you. It's so essential. Yeah, people, just because somebody disregards you, that doesn't mean anything. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus said. You forgive people because they don't know what they're doing. Right? That's easy. We got a depersonalized personal offense. That's how you forgive people. You think, well, they don't know what they're doing or they wouldn't do it. Oh, yes, they would. Well, Jesus said they wouldn't. Well, I think they do half the time. Well, Jesus thinks they never do. Argue with Jesus. See who wins. Is that simple enough, a philosophy? It helps me. And I have been highly disregarded by some very important people whom I deeply treasure and uh, harbor no resentment. I've elected to have fun, even if it's by myself this morning. So, <laughs> All right, in John chapter 1, verse 40, it's the first time we see this name. But it's hidden in Aramaic. That's uh, one of the languages parts of the New Testament were written in. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. Now, Cephas is Peter in Aramaic. So that's the first time Jesus ever spoke that word. You know, Jesus likes to give people nicknames. You know, James and John, sons of thunder, a lot of noise, no power. Okay, all right. So if Jesus isn't funny, you're missing lots of stuff here. He's funny. Jesus is very funny. Anointed with the oil of gladness above everyone else in the universe, the Bible says in Hebrews 1. You can't be happy and not be funny. You know that? I'm saying some powerful stuff, Adam. I don't know if it's, if it's making, you know. If I charged by the pithy statement, you guys would be owing me a bunch. I'm just telling you. I don't, you know. I'm basically here for free. So... We didn't discuss any of that, so it's awesome. In closing, <laughs> I have a drink. <laughs> I'm like a... Oh! <laughs> now, you would... See, I have cold diet beverage here. If this were coffee, you would have a certain impression of the kind of person I am. Oh, yes, nice jacket, nice hair, drinks coffee. Or Diet Coke, what's the matter with that fella? Oh, that's just image. 
Moving right along. Now, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Peter. What was Jesus saying? He was saying this. I know who you are, but you don't. That's where you start. You are no mystery to God, but you have two mysteries, yourself and him. And he wants to uncover both of them for your benefit, for your welfare. Now, Peter thought he was a fisherman, a second, third, fourth generation fisherman. He thought he was a business partner. He thought he was a husband. He, he thought he was the son of Jonah. He thought he was brave. Later, he thought he was a coward. He really did not really know who he was. And um, it's so wonderful, the heart God has for people, that he can even tailor make a disaster to bless you. Yeah, you're writing that one down there, sweetie, aren't you? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, you should never waste anything. Now, now there are disasters that come God has nothing to do with. Nevertheless, you can get a benefit from it. But God will reveal himself to you if you perk up. If, if you suddenly realize, hey, there's more to this than I knew. And, and you almost feel like an absolute idiot when one day you wake up and realize, I have no clue what life's about. I just don't get it. I don't understand why people act the way they do. I don't understand why I act the way I do. I just don't get it. I need some basic fundamental help. But I ain't telling anybody but God because they'll think I'm crazy. But really, those other people feel the same way you do. They just don't want to talk about it either. But Jesus was telling Simon Barjona something profound and something deep. He was saying, I know all about you but you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. Now, I mentioned this earlier. Identity leads to destiny. And uh, when you look at the way we started here out of, out of the Gospel of Luke at John the Baptist, you, you begin to see how people try to name you in ways that are in, inaccurate. Uh, if you go the whole story of the angel appearing to Zechariah, do you know what his name meant? Zechariah's name? It means God has remembered. Say that with me. God has remembered. See, that's your name. So the essence of who you are is a person convinced that God remembers everything you pray, everything you ask for, everything you need, everything you want. So, once in his life, you find, you find for once in his life, Zechariah is ministering at the altar of burnt incense, which represents prayer. When an angel appears and says to God has remembered, your prayer is heard. What does that mean? God has remembered you. What would his prayer be? A man of 80 years old with no children. I'd like a child, please. One child, please. A son, Lord, I'm ordering one son, please. Once enough, thank you very much. Year after year after year after. Uh. So when he can no longer have children, an angel shows up, 
really happy with awesome news from the throne, guess what? Your prayer is heard. You shall have a son. You shall call his name John. So heaven named John. Everyone else had a different name for him. And we saw earlier they tried to impose that name on him until his mother said, no. Let's say no again. No. If you're going to get where you're going, you've got to be good at saying no. I don't mean just arguing with people. But I mean, when you're treated a certain way that does not reflect who you are in your heart, you go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not landing here. No, that's not me. I've heard differently. It's important. You're going to have a son. Name him John. Joy and gladness. Many will rejoice. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. She'll drink neither wine nor strong drink. He won't be from Campbellsville. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, will turn many of the children of Israel, the Lord their God, spirit and power of Elijah, on and on. And Zechariah says, how can I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel says, yeah, and I'm Gabriel and I've just been at the throne. little growl. Everybody okay? Okay. Yeah. And then he says, listen, you're going to be mute until the day he's born because you didn't believe my words. Now, that was not punishment. We always think God wants to punish. No, he did not want Zacharias to confess the promise into annulment. He didn't want him to unbelieve it to the point where, do you know you can make the word of God of none effect by your tradition? People say, oh, that couldn't happen. Well, Jesus said it could. You can make the word of God of none effect because of the way you believe. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Now, here's what I want you to see. Zechariah couldn't live up to his own name, so they were going to name his boy that. Welcome to the Little League field, ladies and gentlemen. These Little League coaches, these guys are like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. You'd think they're in the World Series or something. And these bozos, you know, these redneck, goober-headed, didn't make the Major League bozos, are out there yelling and screaming at these 9-year-old kids, No! No, swim! No! Yeah, they did that to one of my kids. I told my wife, I said, that guy works at Duke Power, his coach. You know what I'm going to do in the morning? She said, I'm afraid to ask. I'm going to call him up. I'm going to walk into his office when he's on the phone with a customer. And I'm going to start screaming at him, no, no, don't say that. Anybody understand what goes on at the soccer field and little league field sometimes? What are those guys doing? They're saying, I didn't make the Yankees, but my boy's going to make the Yankees. Meanwhile, the boy wants to be a rock and roll star. He wants to play guitar and hang out with the ladies. You know what I'm saying? He don't want to be a baseball. He's just having fun. He found out, hey, there's sticks, there are balls, you run, you hit, you chew, you spit. Sounds good to me. Then he gets there, and suddenly he's under all this pressure to be, and he says, no, no, I don't want that. Well, that's what you have, the pressure to conform. 
Yeah, my mother wanted me to be a doctor. Then it was a lawyer. Then it was a dentist. And I said, hey, Mom, listen, I, I'm, I hate to tell you this. I'm a smart guy, but I ain't looking in people's mouths the rest of my life. It's just not going to happen. So I became an itinerant evangelist. And uh, both of my parents shed tears over my decision. They're in heaven now, and they know I was right and they were wrong. Come on. Page number two. <laughs> oh, my. I like that, though. Heaven names this child. The earth is trying to impose its will. Oh, we're going to name him after his dad. Elizabeth says, not on your life. Heaven says his name is Travis or John. I called. Travis came in the house this morning and said, hello. I said, hi, what's your name? He said, Travis. I heard John. I said, hey, John, how you doing? Then he thought I was John. So I was going something tricky about this deal here. Then I said to Matt, Matt, what if that guy really did not live out here? What if he was just walking down the street and decided to come into this house and get some coffee? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, okay. Now, the Apostle Paul, even though Paul was called to be an apostle, the Bible tells us, called to the gospel from before he was born. He didn't know who he was until the Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. And then it probably took him another 12 to 14 years to work out a lot of those details. So don't be discouraged this morning if you don't know who you are. Or if you know who you are and you have no idea how to get where you're going. It's all right. It's all right. That's why you have Jesus. He'll hang out with you, help you figure it out. He's awesome. Um, now the second time, Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, listen to this closely, blessed are you who, he calls him Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that portion out of the message. It's so much clearer and insight, more insightful. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. Now, 
having that promise fulfilled is directly connected to knowing who you are. When you begin to grasp who you are, you will ultimately have unlimited access to heaven. Now, according to what Jesus told a fisherman named Simon Barjona. Now, let me say this. Upon my rock, I'll build this church. The Catholics say he was talking about apostolic succession. It was built on Peter as the first pope. Most of you know that? Yeah, and that's inaccurate. The Protestants say it was built on the revelation Peter had of who Jesus is as the Christ. Now, you know that. Well, that's not entirely accurate either. Let me ask you this. How many people do you know that know Jesus? How many of you know people that know Jesus? Raise your hand. How many of you know people who know Jesus and the gates of hell are prevailing against them? They're sick, they're poor, they're broke, they're scared, they're angry. What up? Because what Jesus was really saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against a person who knows Jesus and who knows who Jesus has told them they are. And Peter's a prototype. A prototype. Now, what was Jesus saying to Peter there? I think he was saying a number of things. He was saying this to us. You can't know who you are until you know who Jesus is. Until Peter could say to Jesus, you're the Christ, Jesus couldn't really say, well, then here's who you are. And so to become your best person, the only one way you can do it is by knowing Jesus. And his job, he wants to show you, he wants to tell you. Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, and you're Peter. Now that you know who I am, I can begin to reveal to you more about who you are. I think that's powerful. How would you like to be a person the gates of hell cannot prevail against? What if we had a whole church full of those people? Be scary good, wouldn't it? Man. Awesome, awesome. My goodness. Keys to open any and every door. You discover who you are, you can open doors. You can close doors. You have access to the heavens. You can release the essence of heaven to other people. That's why we prayed all these years, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just like a slogan for the church. You know what I'm saying? No. We have been authorized not to beg but to agree. Those are adamant agreements. Your kingdom come. Not, dear Lord, please send your kingdom. Look down and oh, what a mess. Good night, God. Help. No, he's saying, hey, come on, lighten up. Gates of hell won't prevail against someone who knows who they are because Jesus showed them. It's amazing. God started giving Peter keys. All right, the third time, Luke 22, verse 31. Shows you the heart of God. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, 
Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you who, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, here's what's going on there. Jesus says to Simon Peter, at first he says, Simon, Simon, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. Why was he calling him Simon? Because he was acting out his old identity. And you see, Peter brought upon himself this confrontation with the devil that he was initially going to lose, but through the process, even of the enemy's activity in his life, he was going to further discover who he was through the mercy of God. Because you might think, why do bad things happen? Well, some bad things happen because you invite them, and you don't even know it. You don't even realize it. What do you mean? Well, like Peter. Peter's saying, I'm brave, man. Come on. Bring these people on. And Jesus says, Peter or Simon, you don't get it. You don't get it. I've got news for you. Satan came to me and asked me for you. He's going to sift you like wheat. But what do you do when you sift? You get rid of one thing to reveal the other. And so Simon got sifted, but Cephas emerged. See, even Peter's stupidity that brought on this disastrous conflict eventually erupted or emerged in a redemptive expression of God's heart, getting him out of himself. God is awesome. After Simon is sifted and fully returns to Jesus, Peter the rock remains. It's so powerful. Here's what Jesus was saying to him. He said, Peter, you don't get this, but you've entered, you've just entered the worst 24 hours of your life. That was that 24 hours, that period of time where he denied the Lord before maidens, three separate occasions, with oaths and curses. And you know fishermen can cuss. (laughs) What if someone came up to you and said, do you know Jesus? And you said, expletive expletive, expletive, no cuss word, GDMF. That's as close as I can get without getting in trouble. You feel good about yourself after that? Mm-mm. No, you wouldn't. And Jesus would be going, yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that before I ever picked you. There's great comfort in that. You may have not even done the worst thing you'll ever do. I hope you have that behind you. I hope I do. But he doesn't pick he doesn't pick you after you die and he looks at your track record. He picks you early. You stupid sinful person or whatever, you know. Come on. He picks you early. He says, "I know what you're going to do. You're going to hurt your feelings, their feelings." 
You're going to wake up one morning and go, I can't make this. I can't do this. It's their fault. It's Obama's fault. It's Obama's fault. It's my mama's fault. I mean, (laughs) no, that's not really what's going on here. You have issues. Anyone have issues? Yes. Even he has issues. That's okay. All right. 